Nobody like Jesus. If you don't believe that, Lord, help me today. Maybe we'll change your mind before you get out of here. One of the things that was in my life this week was a funeral. That's not too unusual. Uh, what was unusual is that this funeral, um, I was in John 14, like I am a lot of funerals that I preach. That's the passage you probably know. It. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And I usually just kind of do that first part of that. But then as I was getting ready for that, I kind of read a little further down into verse eight, verse nine, and something there caught my attention I want to show it to you this morning in verse eight. After all of that, Philip speaks up and he said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? And, and that got my attention because I thought, you know what? If Philip, who's been with Jesus really 24-7 for three years, three and a half years now, I mean, he had a front row seat to hear the teachings of Jesus. He's, he's seen the power of Jesus on display. He's watched Jesus heal the blind and he's watched Jesus feed the multitudes. He's seen Jesus calm the storm. He was in the storm that Jesus calmed. He's, he's seen Jesus even raise the dead. And yet after all of that, Jesus looks at Philip near the end of his earthly ministry and he says, Philip, you don't even know me. And that got me wondering about me. Do I really know Jesus? It got me wondering about you. Do you really know Jesus? I, I mean, I kind of know how to pastor a church, but do I know Jesus? You might know how to be a deacon, but do you know Jesus? You might know how to lead a ministry or a, a life group or whatever it is, but do you really know Jesus? We know how to talk about Jesus, we, we know how to sing about Jesus. We know all the Jesus kind of stuff that we do around a church. And you would probably say, yeah, I know him. And I would probably say, yeah, I know him. But do we really know him, know him? Or do we sort of know him like we know somebody because we're a little familiar with their Wikipedia page? Or do we know him like maybe we know somebody because we follow their social media and so we think we know that person. Here's what I'm asking. Have we gotten down to the heart of Jesus, the heart of who he is? That's, that's where you really know somebody. You don't really know somebody until you know their heart. And, and the Bible teaches us that the human heart, that's kind of our, our control center, it's out of the heart that we think and we choose and we decide and we feel our ambitions, our motivations all flow out of the heart. In fact, the Bible says that it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. The heart really is the cockpit of our lives. And I was just thinking about that. Do we really know Jesus at that level? Do we really know his heart? And I'm not sure that I do. I'm not sure that we do. I think sometimes the Jesus we know or that we think we know is merely a reflection of the Jesus that we want him to be. We're at a time where maybe we want an angry Jesus and so we imagine him that way. Or we want a passive Jesus and so we imagine him that way. Or 
election season comes up and we want a political Jesus and we imagine him that way. Or we want an affirming Jesus or we want a strong Jesus. And maybe today Jesus is looking at us like he did Philip and he's asking us this question. After all this, after all this time, after all this sitting in a church, after all this good doing, after all this song singing, after all this, you don't know me. You don't really know my heart. And here's the thing. The heart of Jesus really isn't a mystery. Today is our 28th sermon through the book of Matthew. And truly, on every page, we've encountered the heart of Jesus. It's been there, it's been before us, but here's, I think, one of the pitfalls of what's called expository preaching. That's how I preach typically. Expository preaching is we're gonna take a book or a big passage and we're gonna work through it word by word, line by line, verse by verse. I, I love preaching that way. I love for God's word to have the authority. We're just gonna follow it. That's gonna force us to preach what we want to. It's gonna force us to preach what we don't want to. We're just gonna follow him and let the Lord speak out his word. But one of the potential pitfalls of that is you can begin to miss the forest for the trees because you get so focused on every individual tree in there, you forget the forest that all of those trees make up. So this morning, I wanna make sure that for a moment in our study of Matthew, we pause so we don't miss this beautiful and enchanted forest that is the heart of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Because if we just keep plowing through the book of Matthew, not knowing the heart of Jesus, then we're gonna waste a whole lot of time. We're gonna waste a whole lot of Sundays. What good is it gonna do us if we just continue to plow through this and we get to the end of it and we go, well man, I really know the book of Matthew, but I don't know Jesus. And I don't know the heart of Jesus. So we don't wanna do that. So this morning to help us pause and see the forest of the heart of Jesus, to know him in a pursuit, and effort, a desire, a prayer to know him better. I wanna back us up about seven weeks to the end of June when we were in Matthew chapter 11. We wanna start there today and catch up to where we left off last week. In Matthew chapter 11, at the end of Matthew chapter 11, you can write this down. At the end of Matthew chapter 11, the heart of Jesus is described. We saw it seven weeks ago, but I think it's important that we go back and grab it and bring it with us into Matthew chapter 12 today. At the end of Matthew 11, the heart of Jesus is described, and it's Jesus that's describing his own heart at the end of Matthew chapter 11. And I don't think he does that anywhere else in the four gospels. So here when Jesus says, hey, this is what my heart is like, I want you to know me. This is Jesus inviting us to step deeper into him, to know him more than we've ever known him. When he says something like, my heart is, man, that's an invitation. He's rolling out the red carpet to his heart to say, Austin, I want you to know me like you've never known me before. So when he says, my heart is, that's a signal that we need to sit up and we need to pay attention and we need to lean in because he doesn't say this often. So this is a, a big deal when he says, let me describe my heart to you. 
He said, let, let me tell you what drives me. Let me tell you what motivates me. Let me tell you what's at the epicenter of who I am. Let me tell you what the control center of me is all about. Let me tell you what defines me. This is at the core. This is what makes me tick. And so when Jesus tees up that kind of statement, we would be really wise to hush and to pay attention to what it is that he's about to say. So let's check it out. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, so let's kind of dive in here again. Seven weeks ago, but who remembers that, right? So let's do it again today. Verse 28, he says, come to me, all who labor. In other words, you're exhausted today from laborious toil. You've been working so hard to fix you. You've been working so hard to fix your problems. Working so hard to fix your world. Working so hard to fix other people, to fix their issues, to fix their problems. And now these religious leaders in Matthew 11, Jesus is looking out at them and he's going, these religious leaders have come along and you're already exhausted and they're telling you you're not working hard enough six days a week and they're telling you you ought to have shame and guilt because you're working too hard on the seventh day out of the week and you're overloaded. It feels like you're never gonna be able to convince God to get on your side and Jesus says to those people, come to me, come to me. And find rest. He says, come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden means you're overwhelmed, you're overburdened. It's the picture of a ship that is stuck in a harbor. It's stuck in the harbor because it's overloaded. It can't even get out of the harbor. It would be impossible to navigate out on the high seas. Jesus says, if that's you, if you're covered up and overwhelmed with concerns and worries and burdens, then come to me. And this is a an amazing statement here because he's not trying to diagnose how you got that way. This is not Jesus pointing an, an accusing finger going, you should have known better. This is not the way you do it. He's simply saying, this is where you are. This is where I am. Just bring it to me. Just come to me and find rest. He's not throwing out judgment here. He's offering a strong, steady, gentle hand of help to the tired, the overburdened. He says, verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And then what did he say? I will give you rest. We talked about that last week. When he says, I'll give you rest, he is saying, listen, I'm gonna die on the cross in your place. And he did. He uttered the words, it is finished. In other words, he was saying, you don't have to work for forgiveness. You can't earn it. You can't labor for your salvation. The only one who earned salvation by works is Jesus. And he did by his perfect, sinless life. He substituted himself in your place, my place on the cross and said, it's done. Now all you have to do is receive this salvation and rest in it and rejoice in it. He says, come to me and you'll find rest. Verse 29, take up my yoke and learn from me for, and here it is. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Listen, 
our study of the book of Matthew, we've called it different, and, and this really is why. Because Jesus is different. And the heart of Jesus is like none other. The heart of Jesus is so different. He just said this about his heart. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. This is like Clark Kent has just cracked the buttons on his white dress shirt to reveal that Superman S underneath. Jesus just sort of peeled back his skin and said, I'm gonna let you see my heart. That's a rare, unusual glimpse that he's giving us in this passage. He pulls back that flesh and says, this is what my heart is like. My heart is gentle and lowly. Is that everything that Jesus is? No, but that's the dominant themes of his heart. That he's gentle and lowly. What does that mean? Now, this is big news. Jesus is going, hey, I want you to know me. I'm inviting you in to know me like you've never known me before, and that means I want you to know my heart. I don't want you to just know the Wikipedia page or follow me on TikTokogram. I want you to know me. This is my heart. And so we need to look into that. So what does he mean by that, that I'm gentle and lowly? Well, think about the fact that he's gentle. And contrast that with the fact that just with a word, the S-U-N in our galaxy came flying out of his mouth like a small speck of spittle. That's the power that's the might that our God has, and yet we know that our S-U-N is a small little star compared to so many others in our solar system. This unmatched power, he's omnipotent, he is all-powerful, and yet he says, my heart is gentle. It's gentle. A snowflake could rest on the fingertip of the one who hung every flaming star in the universe, unmatched power, strength, and might in Jesus that we cannot begin to fathom, and yet he says, my heart's gentle. That word gentle is also the word where we get the word meek. Meek does not mean weak. Meek means power under control for the benefit of somebody else. We live in a world right now that says we need men to be weak. No, we need men to be meek. We need men to be strong, but who use that strength for the good, for the well-being, for the benefit of other people. So when Jesus says, my heart is gentle, that's what he's saying. My heart's meek. I have all power, but I am using that power for your good. This is his heart for you. He's rolling out the red carpet and saying, I want you to know my heart. I'm gentle, I'm meek, I, I'm omnipotent, I have all powerful, I'm all powerful, but I'm, I'm using all of that for your good. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. This is all for your benefit. Th think about a horse, right? A horse is powerful, it's strong. You break that horse, it doesn't lose its strength. The horse becomes rideable. Now all the power in a horse is being channeled for your benefit, for your good. That's what God says about his heart. Jesus says about his heart, my heart is gentle, my heart is meek. It's all for your good, for your 
benefit. This is how he's describing his own heart. This isn't hearsay. This is Jesus saying, this is me. Gentle. I'm working all things for your good. He's unlimited in his power. Could spit out another galaxy right here in this moment. But at the same time, he says, all of that is being channeled for what's good for you for what's beneficial for you. This is why Paul would say, if God is for us, then who could be against us? And he says something else about his own heart there. He says, my heart is gentle and lowly. And and we don't talk like that a lot. We don't really describe people as lowly. We don't even really know what that means. So this is what it means when he says, I'm not only gentle in heart, but I'm lowly. This is what he means. He means, I'm accessible. I'm approachable, I'm available. I I, I want you here with me. Isn't that amazing? All power, using that for your benefit, but not using that for your benefit from far away, right? I mean, he's not perched up on his throne in heaven going, hey, I'm gonna help you, but I'm gonna do it from way up here. I'm not really gonna get down there. I don't wanna get in the middle of your mess or your stuff, but up here, I'm just gonna open up the windows of heaven and I'm just gonna launch them out, land them on you, and everything's gonna be okay. Sometimes that's the way we wanna help people. We wanna help people from a distance. Hey, we'll text a donation, We'll tell them we'll pray for them, but, but listen, to get involved in that, it's gonna get complicated and complex and messy, and we're not really gonna do that, and yet Jesus says, that's not the way I am. Jesus says, this is my heart. My heart is lowly. I'm coming down there to where you are. I'm not some king that sits high above his people, unavailable, unaccessible, unapproachable. He's humbled himself. The Bible says he's come into this world as a servant. Philippians 2, he humbled himself, taken on the form of a servant, became obedient even to death on a cross. He is the one who stooped in that upper room just hours before his death and washed every foot of every disciple in that room, including the two of the man that would run and betray him for 30 pieces of silver. What kind of servant is that to make himself lowly, approachable, available, accessible? God, through his son Jesus, has made himself accessible to every one of us. He came here and he walked among us. He was born to a young Jewish couple in a manger, no less, a Jewish couple living below the poverty line. He is lowly and he's still accessible to us. He says, you can boldly approach my throne. That you can find help and mercy in your time of need. Heather was singing over here on the praise team earlier. She's our office uh, administrator. And every once in a while I'll hear, I'm at my desk and I'll hear something scoot under my door and she slides papers under my door. She's not interrupting me. She didn't want to come in there and interrupt. She just slides paper under my doors. That's cool. That's a good office lady. My children, when they come to see dad at work, they never slide things under the door. They come in. And I've always told them, you can always come in. Because I'm their pastor, but I'm your dad. And that's different. I'm always going to be and want to be lowly 
to my kids. I wanna be approachable and available and accessible. And God says, that's how I feel about you. He says, this is my heart, gentle and lowly. He's not removed from the broken and the burdened. In fact, those are the very ones that he most wants to scoot down and wash their feet and to care for because they live in a world where probably nobody else is being gentle and lowly and caring for them. And Jesus steps into that void with his mercy and with his grace and with his love. And we see his heart on every single page of Matthew's gospel. That's what his heart is like, gentle and lowly. It's a different kind of heart. So here we are at the end of Matthew 11. We heard the heart of Jesus described. He described it himself. And then we got into Matthew chapter 12, and you can write this down. Matthew chapter 12, last week we saw the heart of Jesus displayed. He described it at the end of 11. He displays it at the beginning of chapter 12. If you were here, just by way of review, in case you weren't here, last week it was the Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12, and the religious leaders are just bent, bound, and determined to find some reason to accuse Jesus of doing wrong, and the Sabbath is their biggest, most religious thing in their world, so they're trying to figure out some way that he must have violated the Sabbath so they can pin some kind of charges against him. They've taken this day, and this is what religion can do. God designed this day to be a blessing to people. And these religious leaders had turned it into a massive, oppressive burden. Just rule after rule, procedure after procedure. But what we saw from the heart of Jesus last week is that God prioritizes human need over religious ceremony. The disciples were hungry, and so he had them pick grain out of the field. Human need. Why was he concerned about that? Because that's his heart. He's gentle, he's lowly. A man with a shriveled hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath it was a setup, it was a trap, he knew it, but he stepped right into it, did what they predicted he would do. How beautiful is that anyway? He healed. Why? Because that's his heart. He's gentle and he's lowly. The heart of Jesus described in Matthew 11, displayed in chapter 12. Chapter 12, last week we saw his heart in great contrast to the hearts of the religious leaders. Evil, manipulative, accusatory, selfish, power-hungry hearts. So let's go back to Matthew 12 where we left off last week because we are committed to expository preaching but God help us never not see the heart and the forest of the beautiful heart of Jesus as we do. So we left off last week having seen Jesus just heal that man's hand on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And the Bible says there that the religious leaders went out to plot how to kill him. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Apparently, it's pretty egregious to pick some grain and eat it on the Sabbath. Apparently, it's pretty egregious to heal a man on the Sabbath. But it's perfectly okay to plot somebody's murder on the Sabbath. Isn't it crazy how quick we can get it twisted? Jesus has never got it twisted. I have, you have, but he never has, and he never will. 
constant and steady is Jesus. These religious leaders, they've tried to slow him down. We've seen that through Matthew's gospel. They could not. They've tried to discredit him. They could not. They've tried to stop him in a number of ways. They could not. Now they decide their only option is to kill him. And I told you, and I'll tell you again, pay attention here, because where we are in Matthew right now is a big pivot moment in the book. This is where hints of me and you coming into the kingdom. This is where we begin to get hints of me and you, Gentile people, coming into the story of God begins to come in now in Matthew's gospel. Because the king has come and he's announcing his kingdom to the Jews first. But now the leaders of the Jewish people have rejected the Messiah. So from here on out, as we walk through Matthew for another 18 months or so, you're welcome. <laughs> Watch for this theme. You're gonna see it. You're even gonna see it some today that God's bringing us into the story. And it's not like an afterthought, by the way, and you'll see that some today. This has been planned, God's plan, his unstoppable plan all along. The heart of Jesus is to reach the nations. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So the religious leaders here, they're plotting to kill Jesus. Let's pick it up where we were, verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. Why? Why did he heal them all, Brian? You got it, my brother. That's his heart. His heart has never beat out of rhythm. The rhythm of his heart is gentle and lowly. People had need. And he cared. He took his power and he channeled it for their benefit, for their good. He stooped to every one of them and made himself available and accessible and approachable. He healed them all and he ordered them not to make him known. Now, fat chance of that happening, all right? Like, how are they not gonna talk about that? You say, well, why did he tell them not to make him known? Because there is a specific hour that Jesus is gonna take his last breath on the cross, He's gonna land where he's supposed to land at the very second he's supposed to land. So sometimes in his ministry, you might see him like he is here, kind of tap the brakes a little bit. And sometimes you're gonna see him press the gas a little bit. He knows how to land where he is supposed to land. Then Matthew does in verse 17 what Matthew's done over and over again so far in Matthew's gospel because he's writing first to a Jewish audience. He points back to the Old Testament and he does that here Beginning in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. So Matthew grabs the prophet Isaiah, brings him in. He says this, behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So at the end of chapter 11, what do we see? Well, we heard Jesus describe his heart. Chapter 12, we watched Jesus display his heart. And in these verses, we see Jesus delivering his heart. 
He's delivering his heart. Here's what I mean. Matthew is quoting Isaiah the prophet here. Isaiah wrote these words by the power of the Holy Spirit 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years before Jesus is born in that manger, God is telling his people, you're gonna know who the Messiah is because I'm gonna tell you right now what his heart is like. So when he comes on the scene and he reveals his heart to you, you ought to be able to match it up to what I'm telling you 700 years ahead of time. That this is the one. I'm telling you, he's the one. And when Jesus came 700 years later, he delivered the heart that God had described over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. He delivered it. And we're seeing it in God, the Gospel of Matthew. It's God saying that the chosen servant of God. Let me break this passage out of Isaiah down for you quickly. What kind of heart does Jesus have? God was speaking through Isaiah saying he's gonna have a servant's heart. Verse 18, he said, behold, my servant whom I've chosen. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He has a heart to serve. Not only does he have a heart to serve, he has a loving heart. He goes on in verse 18 and says, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. Watch this, because God so loved his son, his beloved son, the love of the father flowed into the son and flowed out of the son to me and to you. He had a heart of love for us because of how he is loved within the triune God. Not only does he have a servant's heart and a loving heart, he has a spirit-filled heart. God describes him this way, I will put my spirit upon him. And we, we saw that, we heard God say, this is my beloved son, where, where do we hear that? Baptism, and where else? Mount Transfiguration, right? 700 years before that happened, God said, my servant is gonna be loved. And he'll be filled with the spirit. I'll put my spirit upon him. At the baptism, remember the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of the dove. What's the heart of Jesus like? It's a servant's heart, a loving heart, a spirit-filled heart. It's a justice-satisfying heart, a justice-satisfying heart. Look what he says, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Well, there had to be justice to be proclaimed to the Gentiles. So before he proclaimed justice to the Gentiles, he had to provide justice to the Gentiles. How did he do that? Well, justice is God's perfect. We're not. We're sinners. According to God, because of our sin, we're deserving of death. That would be just. But Jesus provided justice for us by taking his place on the cross in our place, should have been our place, but he took it. He substituted himself, died on the cross, the death that you and I deserve to give us the grace and the mercy of God. He executed justice on his own son so he could pour out mercy and grace on us who were sinners. He'll proclaim justice to the Gentiles because he provides justice to the Gentiles. So he has a servant's heart, a loving heart, a spirit-filled heart, a justice-satisfying heart, and he has a quiet heart. Verse 19 says, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Jesus isn't causing a ruckus. He speaks in a still, small voice. He could shake the earth off its foundations with a syllable. But to you and to me, 
he whispers. That still, small voice. What kind of heart does he have? He has a compassionate heart. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. What does that mean? Those who are bruised in our world, those who are burning out, the broken, the outcast, the forgotten, the marginalized, the ones that everybody's turning away from, he's turning to in compassion, kindness, gentleness. What kind of heart does he have? A servant's heart, a loving heart, a spirit-filled heart, a justice-satisfying heart, a quiet heart, a compassionate heart, and a victorious heart. It says, until he brings justice to victory. At the cross, Jesus provided justice for God by paying the price for your sin, for my sin, but his justice wasn't finished. It kept marching victoriously until it marched victoriously out of an empty grave three days later. That justice is still marching in victory 2,000 years later. It is gonna keep marching to victory until he makes all things new and puts everything under his feet. He has a victorious heart and he has a hope-giving heart. This is Jesus. He has a hope-giving heart. Look at verse 21. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Think about this. 700 years before Jesus was born, God whispers to the prophet Isaiah about his servant Jesus. 700 years before he's born, he says, in his name, the Gentiles will hope. And can I tell you what's happening right now today in almost every nation around this world? The name of Jesus is being rejoiced in, celebrated, and hoped in, just as God said it would be 700 years ago. That's what we're doing in this room today is we're declaring our hope is in Jesus and not another. All around this world this morning, scripture from 2,700 years ago is being fulfilled in bombed out cities in Ukraine, in the bush jungles of Africa. Any place you wanna throw a dart at on the globe, you'll probably find somebody somewhere in that vicinity hoping in the name of Jesus. He has a hope-giving heart. And he asked Philip, after all this, you don't know me? And that's our question here this morning. Do we know him today? Do you really know him? Do you know his heart? I wanna borrow from a preacher You've heard him probably. He's been with the Lord for about 20 years. I wish I could have heard him live just one time. His name was S.M. Lockridge. True story. His mama named him Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. You know your baby's gonna be a preacher when mama just calls it out. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. These are his words. He said, my king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews, that's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel, that's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Do you know him? 
Do you know him? Do you know my king? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is the only one of whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shore of his supplies. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He is honest. He is unique. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is supreme. He is preeminent. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and for the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's the almighty God who guides and keeps all his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. That's my king. Do you know him? Shadrach, Meshach went on and said, well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors. He's the prince of the princes. He's the king of the kings. And he's the Lord of the lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. That's my king. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm coming to tell you this, that the heavens of the heavens cannot contain him, let alone some man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been and he always will be. I'm talking about the fact that he had no predecessor and he has no successor. There's nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, all the power belongs to my king. We're around here talking about black power, white power, green power. But in the end, all that matters is God's power. Thine is the power and the glory. We try to get prestige. We try to get honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all His. Yes, thine is the glory, the kingdom, and the power forever and ever and ever. How long is that? 
forever and ever and ever. And when you get through all the forevers, then amen. That's our King. Do you know Him? So let's stand. Let's stand. And let's worship our King today. He's rolled out the red carpet to you to say, this is my heart. This is my heart. I want you to know me. I want you to know me. He's inviting you today to know Him. To know Him like never, ever before. All you got to do is take one step onto that red carpet. He's rolled it out for you. He'll bring you into His heart that you can know Him know him in his fullness and know him in the power of his resurrection. This is our God. Amen. Come on.